This is Care Less, Do More. Welcome back to Care Less, Do More, where we care less about what people think and we do more. Get out there, be vulnerable, and build character. I'm your host, Michelle Parker. Thank you so much for tuning in. Before we dive into this one, I'd like to shout out and thank Darn Tough Vermont for keeping my feet dry, comfortable, blister-free, and happy. In the summertime, I ride my bike a ton, and you won't catch me wearing anything but Darn Tufts on my feet. Merino wool socks work, and Darn Tufts are made to fit in all the right places. They're simply the best socks. You'll thank me later, but go treat yourself to a fresh pair of the longest-lasting, most durable socks with comfort I've ever slipped onto my feet. My guest on the show today has been dubbed the Cindiest and Friendliest, a title that I see fitting for this 30-year-old budding professional skier, Molly Armanino. In 2022, she competed in the Freeride World Tour qualifiers and won four competitions, which earned her a wildcard invite to the 2023 Freeride World Tour Pro event. With a background in racing through high school, unlike most professionals, professional skiers, that is, Molly attended college at the University of California, Santa Cruz, and earned a degree in ecology, which took her away from the slopes and the mountains for the time being. Upon graduating, she returned to what is now her hometown of South Lake Tahoe and took a consulting job in conservation for a couple of years until she quit as the outdoors beckoned her again. She's won the Sick Bird Award, and there is no doubt in my mind that Molly has a bright future within our sport, but she's going to carve that out in her own way and in her own style, which is what I love. All right. Welcome to the show, Molly Armanino. <laughs> Thanks. Wow. Um, so for the listeners, I just tried to record the intro as I normally do flowing into it. And I think Molly just makes me laugh and I couldn't do it. It took me four takes and I didn't do it. So here we are. Yeah. <laughs> Molly, how are you today? Um, I'm good. Good. Yeah, I'm good. good. How are you doing? I'm doing good. I'm like really got hyper. I think your energy yeah. like feeds me good the, energy. The giggle energy. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Good. I, I listened to podcasts the whole way up here to practice. Nice. Which one do you listen to? Um, I'm kind of, it's, uh, it's called normal gossip. It's like, ran, it's just random like gossip stories that kind of funny and juicy and random yeah I like that yeah but um in general I've been listening to a lot of space podcasts oh space podcasts what have you been learning um I don't know like crazy shit like a bit about black holes um a bit about like I, I don't know how difficult it is to understand the absurdity of like distances and yeah when the universe was created and are we even in a black hole you know whoa yep <laughs> yeah yep. yeah that's so. some heady stuff <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I love I it i won't talk too much about it <laughs> no i'm into it i mean when uh who is on here lily bradley we went down some funny some funny paths and i kind of am anticipating that with our oh, conversation good. too okay. we ready. can go anywhere all right i like it like that open book <laughs> yeah totally but let's start out with the beginning like you were born and raised in tahoe uh, yeah. Oh, no. Sorry. I was born in Placerville, um, which is like there, the foothills foot, foot um, kind of near Sierra Tahoe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, really hot and dry there. Yeah. Yeah. Is that part of what burned in the recent Tahoe fire? Yeah. yeah it was like the kind of northern parts of, um, of Placerville mm-hmm. and a little bit, maybe 10 miles north of my house. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then ended up here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was like, oh God. It's wild to drive that burn scar and it takes like an hour and a half to drive the whole thing and see the destruction and yeah. Yeah. But your house that you grew up in was okay? Yep. It was okay. Yeah. Yeah. It was go, it started uh, the other direction. So. Okay. Yeah. It just went away from it the whole time. Yeah. 
but yeah, so that's good. Yeah. (laughs) It's still there. How long did you live there? Uh, I lived there, I think maybe eight years or, and then before that we were in Sutter Creek. I don't know if you've ever been there. It's like another little random foothill town, (laughs) um, near, uh, Plymouth. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So you moved to Tahoe around eight. And then I moved, well, I lived in, I went to high school and everything in Placerville and, um, well, El Dorado. And then I moved, yeah, away to Santa Cruz for college. After that, did some traveling and then moved to South Lake and did the whole, I'm just going to stay for a season, you know, thing. Yep. Um, I was, yeah, some lady came, I remember vividly that some lady came up to me and I was like, oh, I'm just here for the winter. The lady's like, that's what I said 12 <laughs> years later. And she's like, you know, super like beaten by the sun and pretty haggard. I was like, oh, yeah. God. <laughs> yes. I love yeah. that. And you were working at the time when you came back to Tahoe. What was your job then? I was a house cleaner. Okay. Yeah. So I cleaned houses and I coached the race team. Oh, awesome. Yeah. And then I um, got fired from house cleaning. How'd you, how'd you pull that one off? I... <laughs> I I just was, I, I wasn't great at it. Yeah. I kind of wasn't really too particular in some aspects. So, you know, um, they liked me. I think it was hard for them to fire me, but I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. It was, but one they're of those like, things. you're not very detail oriented. <laughs> yeah. Fair. Yeah. I think that's fair. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. There's <laughs> some things missed for sure. Yeah. So you grew up ski racing though? I did. Yeah. I guess I did. Um, I started, I think when I was like maybe five or six mm-hmm. and then did it out throughout high school, um, and did FIS until I was maybe, I don't know, like fifth. Oh, you know what? 16. Cause, um, yeah, till 16. And then I, uh, got, I don't know if we want to go into too many things, but I, I got arrested for streaking, which I thought was pretty funny for ending my ski career. But oh, my yeah. parents were like, no more. <laughs> Yes, no, this so. was something I very much wanted to go into. <laughs> Tell me about the streaking story. Um, we were 16, and we were up at some race in Oregon, um, and I convinced my friend the plan was to, like, <laughs> the plan was to just run, escape the home that we were staying in, naked, and then run through Safeway, and then run back. <laughs> wow, that's pretty bold yeah it was bold so um on our way to Safeway uh there are these like two headlights and I didn't think much of it but my friend was you know hiding behind a trash can and I realized that it was a cop car oh and no they told the coach and yeah we couldn't race we had to salt the course the whole day and then I never made it to Junior Olympics. <laughs> no, that's such a bummer. What it's starts okay. out as like such an innocent, like, <laughs> yes, we're going to streak through the quad and to the gymnasium <laughs> turns into like, yeah, busted by the cops. Yeah. Uh, what were you thinking when you started to streak? <laughs> Honestly, I, I think I, my mom would love to have that answer and I could never give it to her. I don't know. I think just the adrenaline. We were looking for excitement, you know? Yeah. Like something. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I mean, I don't, there wasn't much like parties to go to. I think, you know, everybody's so serious about racing. So I commend yeah. you for this effort. <laughs> when you did, so you never made it to Safeway? 
Um, no. No, make just it at like all. maybe it, a quarter mile. No way. Yeah. <laughs> and then you're just buck naked and this cop basically pulls you over. Yeah. At which point, what were you thinking? Um, fuck. Don't <laughs> tell our coach, Chuck, um, if he ever hears this. Uh, I'm sorry, Chuck. But he, <laughs> we were like, please don't tell, please don't tell our coach. And then he went and knocked on the door, woke everybody up. Um, and, and in the meantime, we had his blankets on our, we were like wrapped in blankets, but yeah, Chuck was pretty upset, and we he didn't let us sleep. We just He just made us run all morning. No way. Yeah. Oh, I know. Brutal. Brutal. <laughs> the consequences of streaking. Yeah. Well, I think it's awesome anyways. <laughs> so that ended your career in racing. Yeah, it did. Yeah. yeah. And then I, um, but I honestly, like, I was kind of beat, I think, from ski racing. I was really good when I was maybe like 11 or 12 I was like prodigy level and then I just never got any better than that so Fair. it was good it was really humbling um but it, 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 it wasn't that great at it <laughs> it's kind of legendary though yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> I love that story um I was very curious about that because I caught wind of it when I was researching you briefly and I was like oh yep this yeah. is juicy I yeah. like this <laughs> I was just telling my friend who's a writer for ski journal that story and it was like offhanded and she really liked it. So totally I thought I would bring it here too. <laughs> it's a keeper. I had notes on it. Like we got to talk about this streaking incident. I don't think I've ever like fully gone streaking, but I've had my fair share of getting busted skinny dipping. <laughs> and like, I now have this tendency of like, I don't think I would have been as comfortable in my own skin growing up, but like after going to Japan and traveling over, you know, all over the world where being naked is not so as uh, yeah it's so normal right and accepted and I like got over that for myself so now when I see like a body of water and I don't have my bathing suit I'm like we're gonna get in there and then on occasion it's not very private when you think it's private yep. and it's not at all yeah 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 I wish that could change in our culture just the wet bathing like unnecessarily having a wet bathing suit is annoying oh yeah it's just inconvenient like yeah. in in saunas in Austria um you aren't allowed to not be naked Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can't right. wear swimsuits in the sauna. Yeah, I'd yeah. probably feel uncomfortable in an onsen in Japan wearing a bathing suit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One time I was in the onsen in Japan, and I, for the majority of my career, was the only female on a lot of these trips. And so I'd go in there, and I'd be alone, and didn't really have anyone to talk to and and <laughs> you're clearly different than everyone else and and one time I was in there and like there was this really fun group of girls in there and they like totally were having a water fight with all of the like squirt gun nozzles from the shower heads <laughs> and I like so wanted to be a part of it but I was too afraid to join in and like this random not friend of theirs <laughs> doing this and then I had the thought I was like this is exactly what all the guys are thinking is happening in the yeah. women's <laughs> onsen and it's actually happening and it was really quite fun to be a part of even though I was just like yeah in the distance <laughs> yeah wow existential yeah <laughs> I would have jumped in so hard yeah yeah don't if you were by I yourself think. you think yeah. yeah I don't know <laughs> I wish I could go back in time I mean what's the worst thing could happen. I mean, otherwise, what you're just kind of staring at them. Totally. <laughs> but I was like laughing. It was really yeah. funny. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so you quit ski racing and you go to college. And what did you study in college? Uh, ecology. Ecology. Yeah. 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 So ecology was great. Um, a little bit, you know, doomy and gloomy, but yeah, they didn't. I feel like college didn't really give me the great tools afterwards <laughs> mm, <laughs> I was just told I was gonna get a job once I got a degree and then it wasn't really how that worked right <laughs> yeah so, 
yeah, it was a little like sad and depressed about the worldly state. Yeah. They didn't provide a lot of solutions. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. I didn't think so. Yeah. Um, what were your ambitions straight out of college? I wanted to live in a tent in Costa Rica and study frogs. Yes. <laughs> you know? I um, love that. Yeah. And then, I don't know. And then I wanted to like seek huge change. And I was like, maybe what would get people to like start caring about frogs in Costa Rica? And I thought maybe like environmental finances and like, I don't know. So I kind of got into some environmental consulting realm and then um, didn't like that. I was, I was way too millennial for it. I was like, <laughs> I got to go. <laughs> and then that's kind of, it broke me. And then I was like, ah, screw it. I'm just going to ski. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. And you were living in Tahoe and your playground was right here. Yeah. So you kind of like fell back in love with skiing. Um, yeah, I did. I did. I like, because I, I had spent... Uh, I think a few months before that, I had just got, before I moved to South Lake, I um, had just gotten back from traveling in Australia and New Zealand for like almost two years. And it was so great and really a really cool um, experience. But you, like, I don't know, you never really felt, there was like always things traveling that you were like, there was something that I felt like I was missing. And I don't know what it was. And then I came back through Kirkwood and I have this really distinct memory of like, looking over the like ridges and just like breathing in happiness I was like it just clicked I was like shit this is like this is like the shit that makes me legitimately happy so mm-hmm. I was like I'm never leaving Tahoe again <laughs> yeah just it's being perfect. out in the mountains with yeah. your friends and your community mm-hmm. and yeah yep yeah exactly yeah yeah it's like home so yeah I love that yeah and when did you start competing in free skiing and then I started competing um, I think maybe when I was like, I'm 30 now, so 25, I was at Winter Wondergrass and I was like hanging out with all the homies and he was like, yeah, I'm going to do it. I'm going to freaking compete. Yes. And, um, yeah. And so I just decided to like try it and I went out to Wyoming, um, for my first comp ever and ended up like crashing my car and <laughs> like rolling it and, um, still competing. But yeah, just mm. a kind of <laughs> wasn't like a really like strong start. Fellow but, car roller, how did that yeah. happen? It was actually a really tragic story. I um, was coming back from Grand Targhee, and we were talking about road rage earlier, I think. But this is an, a good lesson on my end. Um, <laughs> some that sometimes don't think I've learned yet. But this guy was going so slow, and I was just like, this guy is so slow. I'm gonna freaking pass him. I can't even handle it. And so I passed him on the Grand Targhee's like grade and then hit an ice rut immediately and then spin out and then hit um, a snowbank and then roll my whole car. And then I'm fine and I'm with my friend and my skis are fine. I had skis in the ski rack. Like just rolled down my window and crawled out my ski boots and skis and then uh the guy that i passed gave me a ride into town oh no way he was so nice yeah he was like so helpful and i felt like such an asshole for passing him yeah and you don't think you've learned that lesson no i i do i would never pass somebody on an icy grade yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) no um yeah so (laughs) i too have rolled my truck um three times it flipped oh wow yeah it was really sketchy. Um, <laughs> I was driving to Mammoth and I was giving a, like a slideshow 
for the Eastern Sierra Avalanche Center, and I was going no more than 45, in a 45, was not on my phone, was hyper-focused on the roads, and but I was not in four-wheel drive. It was like a sunny... I was in between storms. It was storming in Mammoth, storming in Tahoe. Yeah. Huh. And um, yeah, black ice. And the second I hit it, I had no time to think or do anything. Like, I don't even think I touched my gas brake or wheel. And I like skidded off the road and tomahawked like four times, landed wheels down. I was in shock for sure. Immediately crawled out. I was, the driver's side door was missed by a massive boulder by like, I mean, it hit mm. the passenger side door essentially, wow. but not my side. And yeah, I crawled out and called 911. Didn't think anyone was there. Walked back up to the road. I thought that I flipped one time, but I was like really far off the yeah. road. Holy Sagebrush shit. desert, like yeah. right uh, past the mobile mart at the Tuolumne turnoff there. And walked back up to the road to call 911. And this lady had seen it and she was like freaking out. And she was like, you should be dead right now. Like you flipped three times. I didn't expect to see you. I was about to walk down there. It kind of hit me like how heavy it was in that moment. Um, 911 got there. I was friends with most of the rescuers and first responders. I called Kimmy Fasani, my dear friend, and she came and picked me up, drove me to the slideshow, had already called and prefaced that Michelle got in a car accident. I don't know if she's going to be able to give this slideshow, but I like <laughs> rolled in, had my computer, plugged it in and went wow. straight like live. <laughs> yeah. And had no worries and no stress. It was one of the better talks I've ever given, I think, because I was so present. I was like, I almost just died yeah. and I'm here now. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I drive so much slower now Good. and with so much more caution I, and I definitely have PTSD, like mm -hmm. sitting in the driver's side yeah. or in the passenger side when people are driving, I'm like, well, especially yeah. when they like make sudden movements, your whole body like tenses up. Yeah, yeah. totally. It's uh, scary. Wow. Well, yeah, you came out of that, um, alive, alive and unscathed. Like yeah. I had a pretty bad neck, uh, whiplash yeah. afterwards, but that was pretty much yeah. it. Nothing worse than a a Tommy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Down In to your Alaskan truck. Base. Yeah. Ugh. Holy yeah. moly. Yeah. It was a sad day, but I think I learned my lesson from that. So I hope we learned the lessons. Yeah. Together. I think just calm down. I, yeah. uh, I'm, I'm, I'm actively working on it. Going mm. through Emerald Bay today was so peaceful. Yeah. Good. Yeah. <laughs> it is a beautiful drive. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Um, anyways, sidebar. Um, <laughs> you still have Michelle Parker here. <laughs> so you started competing and how was that process for you? Did you have like foresight of like, I want to be a pro skier in that moment? Or were you like, I'm just going to try it out and see if I like it? Hmm. Um, I don't, I guess that's a really good question. I'm trying to remember. I, I think there was a part of me, I think I went in being like, I'm gonna freaking slay this like here I come but it didn't work out like that like the first I think I, I competed on the qualifiers the first year not um not very much like a few and then the second year I think I tried them like a, a, quite a few more like at the, I think the second year I was like okay I'm gonna like try and make the tour and the two, two years that I did I was like so humbled like I wasn't even getting podium mm -hmm. at all just like I don't know kind of I would just, I would mess up, like, I would, I don't know, hit a rock or do something weird, and you don't really have a, you can't mess up, apparently. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so shit would just happen, and, and it was, like, really humbling. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, I probably might not be a pro skier. Mm. So, <laughs> but, yeah, but I kept at it, so. Yeah. Were you deterred by that, or were you like, no, I still want to try, and I'm still going to give it everything? Um, I was like, I'm going, my brother and I had a goal, like a philosophy that we were just going to, I was just going to 
um, do it for three years. Yeah. So the, that so this last year that I made it was, um, yeah, the last year of the qualifiers was the last year, and then I was like, okay, I I don't need to. I, I'll probably do like maybe a few, but I'm not gonna put my soul and heart into it. Into the competing You know, aspect. you miss a lot of pow. It's kind of it's stressful. Like it's a stressful thing to do, and especially when you're just trying to ski pow all the time. Yeah. 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 So. Okay, so three years, and your third year, you made it to the Free Red World Tour. Yeah, kind of by default, though, because I uh, got, like, they got frostbite, which, as you know. <laughs> Let's talk about that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and that was while you were trying to qualify, right? That was while I was trying to qualify. So then they switched the format. Like, apparently you had to, you have to qualify for the qualifier finals. Okay. So you have to do, but then once you're in the finals, your points start over. So I had done really well in the um, ones leading up to it, and I did one final, and then one, one, one final, so that was good, but then I had two more I had to do well in, um, and those were the two that I couldn't, uh, couldn't do. <laughs> yeah, why, why? What happened? Because, um, yeah, because I got third-degree frostbite, which I didn't think was that bad at first. Um, <laughs> well, I was hoping it wasn't that bad. But, yeah, I was out um, in the backcountry in the bear tooths and was already kind of dealing with frostbite I wonder if we were talking about frostbite at one point earlier in that year I don't know but um yeah already kind of like dealing with a little bit of uh lack of toe maintenance and went out into the backcountry and uh got really cold one morning hiking a coolar <laughs> I think that did it yeah yeah did you know what was happening in the moment no I didn't think about it I was so cold though I was like wow I'm frigid and um I don't even know how cold how cold it was maybe negative 20 I guess Mm -hmm. it was like 4 a.m and um I hiked the whole couloir with a ski jacket and a expedition jacket on top of it and like all the layers and wasn't even hot yeah it was crazy yeah um and then I got down and the sun I like sun came out and like I was warming up a little bit and I yeah I was like oh I'm good it's fine everything's okay yeah yeah and uh so we kept hiking throughout the day like we went down and skied some pal and then <clears throat> collected water and was like hiking around all day and then uh did another cooler that night and I never took my boots off I just had them on all day um and then I, as soon as I got back into the tent at like 9 p.m I was like oh my god this so like look the good. whole day with your boots on you never felt like you had frostbite no you were like, I'm cold, but I'm dealing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I never, I didn't even think, I wasn't, my feet weren't even like in pain or anything. What a trip. I know. Yeah. I did, my bot, <laughs> there was like, t- I was like, when I was hiking the last pool, I was like, damn, this seems kind of like unfeasible for my, for my body right now. Like I was like kind of breaking down. I was like, yeah, cr- you know, getting really frustrated when my skins kept falling off and like just going through the the ringer at the end there. Yeah. So I think there was something trying to tell me to stop. <clears throat> yeah. But wow. <laughs> and have you? I mean, since that, I'm assuming you know a lot more about <clears throat> frostbite than myself and the average listener. Um, but like, is there any telltale signs before this happens? Any preventative <clears throat> measures? Yeah, I think um, I, I have it. I don't have it dialed, but um, 
Caroline, I ta- remember I was talking to Caroline Gleich about it, and she says that no matter what, when she's just doing mountain expeditions or anything like that, just to have a size up boots. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was in, you know, like tight comp boots and mm-hmm. trying to get the GoPro clip, you know? Yeah. So, <laughs> so I, I, you know, sometimes maybe if you're climbing um, a huge, like, mountain, it, you, you want to get, like, bigger boots. And then... Um, I'm like, now I'm just a slave to heated socks, batteries and heated stuff socks. like heated yeah. socks. And those don't even necessarily like do it. So you can do boot gloves, heated socks, and just pay attention. Like, and, and by paying attention, um, <clears throat> if your feet are already kind of dealing, like, you know, when you're kind of dealing with frost nip and something's kind of weird, like with your toes, like you can, yeah, just try not to, um, keep going out in the cold. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good lesson. I think I've only had an occurrence with that once on Denali, and I just noticed that my toes were numb for a while afterwards. But I came home to summertime, so they thawed oh, that's out, nice. and like it wasn't like I was yeah. continuously going for it. Yeah, yeah. I know. I was talking to Mikey Schaefer because my friend um, lives with him, and I, <clears throat> I was in Reno and getting the whole hyperbaric um, therapy situation. He was like, "Oh, you're fine. I, I lost on." All my friends have no toes. No way. Because <laughs> yeah, he's like a really gnarly alpinist. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was like, okay. He's like, they still do. They still are fine. They do all the, all the same shit. And I was like, um, all right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Did you? And so you lost your toe. Yeah. yeah. One toe or? Uh, just the big one. Yeah. Just the top of the big one. So okay. The first, to the first knuckle of my big toe. Is it yeah. still sensitive to touch on the top? Uh, not. Yeah, kind of. Like, I've, I've been stubbing it. The, the nurse told me to... To beat it up <laughs> mm. yeah so to get all the nerve endings yeah. back in place yep. and yep. so are you intentionally stopping yeah, your toe just wailing it on rocks oh my <laughs> gosh it sounds torturous just but kidding. necessary yeah but oh necessary. you're kidding well i don't really like hit it super hard on rocks but i try and walk barefoot you know yeah when i can and yeah stuff like that so yeah how yeah. is it in your climbing shoes that sucks yeah oh man i know yeah it's I mean, okay, it doesn't suck, but it's definitely, it's taking some time to figure out. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because um, it's a whole different feel, and I would imagine your big toe is where you put a lot of pressure when you're climbing, too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know. So maybe, like, the fact that it's, like, a nub, you can stand more on top of, like, oh. point it, but it, oh. I think smaller shoes are nicer. It's kind of funny because it, like, the nub, like, squishes into the climbing shoes, so when I take it off, it's all, like mangled and like squished in there so yeah. sometimes I'm like hmm maybe it's better because it's like I don't know less less space to yeah fill in your tiny climbing shoes but um yeah it's it's taking a second but it's fine I yeah. think it'll it'll be fine good yeah. good yeah I'm glad I remember <laughs> when you were going through this and just <clears throat> feeling for you like oh you know. there's a lot to do with it like it's a real injury and you have to recover properly yeah yeah it was really lengthy yeah um a, yeah a crazy lengthy and it was my toes so annoying I was like, mm. did you ever talk with Anna Pfaff I did yeah yeah and um yeah I she her foot happened um and Anto like maybe six weeks after mm-hmm. mine and it was kind of it's I, I hate that it was at her expense but it, it brought me into reality of like okay like it was so it was really nice to have it, or I don't want to even say it was nice because it's so horrible but basically she was so supportive and like we talked about it um after kind of it was all said and done when I got my surgery she was also getting her toe surgery and um yeah we just empathized with that that lengthy like 
fuck, I don't know what's going to happen to my foot, period. Yeah. And, um, yeah, and she's, like, so inspiring to me. I can't even, I can't, one, imagine how, like, like, worst case scenario, you lose all your toes must feel, but then her grace that she came out of it was, and, and just, um, yeah, like, I don't even know, like, she's not, she wasn't, obviously it's not, you can't be too positive about the whole situation, but I've, <clears throat> she found, like, every single positive you could in wow. that sort of situation. Yeah. And she's getting after it, apparently, climbing. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I so. would imagine that would help you, for sure. Yeah, it was, yeah, yeah it was, it sucks, though, at her expense, you yeah. know? Yeah. Um, but it made me realize that it's not the end of the world. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good. So, you missed the last two competitions. <clears throat> yeah. And then you got doled out the wild card. Yeah. Yeah. And then I got the wild card, and I was like, oh, great. Because I had also just broken my kneecap, I think. Oh, my gosh. That's right. (laughs) Biking, right? Biking, yeah. (laughs) Um, So I was like, oh, yeah, that sounds good. I'll be there, I guess. (laughs) And luckily, I healed up. Yeah. It's fine. And how was that experience? Like, was that nerve-wracking to go from the qualifying events to the Freeride World Tour? Yeah, I think the first one, I almost, I almost puked. People were like, "Are you okay?" And oh then, my gosh. yeah. <laughs> so I, I didn't. I think the stressful. I just didn't know. Like, I don't know what. What everyone's like? Just do what you like. Do ski the line you want to ski, and I'm like, well. And they're like, but don't fuck it up. And I'm like, I okay. There's so many options. It was just like, and you're on TV and. Yeah. Yeah. So, so there was, was a lot more pressure. Yeah, I felt it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, but then it, yeah, did, I had to be like, okay, just like, just it's okay, just it's okay. Yeah, just ski how I want to ski. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Do you think after years of competing that you have a better mindset going into competitions now, or is it still like nerve wracking and? I would. Um, I think the nerves I'm trying to deal with. Um, the nerves I'm trying to deal with and I wonder how this year's gonna go because I don't think I dealt with the I think I got in my head a lot no matter what Mm. but I did feel like um I do feel like I I know when I started skiing I was like the reason why I wanted to compete in addition to being a pro skier sounded cool but also if I wasn't gonna be a pro skier I wanted to learn how to ski lines like Mm -hmm like fluid because I, I think up, up until then I was like always just jumping off like cliffs one off you know mm-hmm. like all your friends are at the bottom just like do it yeah <laughs> um so I thought no matter what it's like it taught me how to become a skier like the type of skier I wanted to be that's so, awesome yeah so that yeah. that that head game so then it kind of that takes away the like oh no I lost I didn't do very well mm-hmm. you know like because it's not about that it's about um you know creating how you want to become personal progression yeah exactly yeah 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 that's awesome and how did the free yard world tour go for you it went good yeah good. I yeah mean, for me it went good although I did crash in like half so I we only did four in total mm-hmm. and it was a mind fuck because it was like it was either raining or I don't know I described it in Europe like in Tahoe in one of the worst drought years in June in rain like right. imagine skiing in that and so it was like and that competing a lot. and yeah. then competing and then all of a sudden it would miraculously snow like four inches and then we're like it's on or then it would be like it's not on and then yeah. you're just like fuck and everybody's like you should do that and then half the people are like you shouldn't I know like you shouldn't just like listen to other people but it's hard not to it's just yeah yeah, so, yeah. I don't know <laughs> <laughs> so anyway I did good in two and then did I fell in the other two, so the ones that I did well in, I guess, 
and then the finals are canceled, mm-hmm. which I was kind of relieved about. So. Yeah. Yeah. And you placed second in Spain, right? Uh, yep. Mm-hmm. And that was the first competition? Yep. Yeah. yeah. And then what did you place on the other one you said? Uh, second. Second. Again. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. That's pretty big for your first year on the Freeride World Tour. Like, I would call that a major success. Thanks. You yeah. podiumed in two events. Yeah. Um, yeah. Thanks. Uh, yeah. I, 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 was, I was stoked on the, the turnout of those two. Yeah. I was kind of in shock. Um, and thanks. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and did you see that as your path to becoming a professional free skier? I did, and then I thought that that I thought that like because I thought maybe I wasn't really gonna go the influencer route. I didn't. I thought that wasn't necessarily something I was gonna be super good at, mm-hmm. which I would like to be good at. It would be nice to be an influencer. <laughs> what and like when um, you say that, I'm super curious what you mean by that. I guess like Instagram famous. So then yeah. you could. So then you are sponsored, and sponsors do want it. They're like, oh fuck yeah! Like look at this chick who's got like five hundred thousand followers. Yeah. On Instagram, we'll uh, do whatever she wants to do. We'll send her in a helicopter to go ski lines in Alaska. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I <laughs> that seems like a little bit like a pipe dream. So I thought maybe I could be more on the realistic side and like do like have something to actually show. Like it'd be like if I did want a sponsorship, I had like tangible things to yeah to give them that I've you know done well in in some comps and and. And please sponsor me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was curious because I think we all have our own definition almost of an influencer. And mine has shifted over time. But in the beginning, it was not necessarily someone who had a ton of talent in their given sport. Like I would still consider that person to be a professional skier or basketball player or whatever it is. To me, it was almost just someone who had a large following and who could represent brands and they made money off of that. But I didn't know where their skill set lied. Maybe it was in having a small business and self-promotion. That's what it seemed like to me. Yeah. Yeah. But I think as an athlete in modern times, like you kind of almost, unless you're like a huge star in some way, shape or form. And I think I looked up one person who raced in the Tour de France who I couldn't find an Instagram handle for. Mm -hmm. But like everyone has that, you know, like Mm -hmm. every professional athlete, you kind of have to have the social media following, which is something that I never anticipated happening because I got to be in it when we didn't have Instagram I or know. smartphones. Yeah. And then you just got your, yeah. And you didn't, you you just had your legacy, which is. Like, yeah. You just so competed sick. and you showed up for photo shoots and film projects and that was what you did. Yep. And your talent spoke for you. Yep. Yeah. yeah. And then network and then people talked and that's, yeah. Yeah. Totally. I, I do think like brands do like, I, I do think brands value like true athleticism and over um, marketing material and like yeah. kind of just having a large following. Um, I do I, I you know there is like an athlete team for a reason. Are influencers like like just being no? There's not a lot of just like athlete. I think if you're an athlete, it's also helpful if you're an influencer. But influencers you kind of have to really toe the line with that. Like yeah. you're selling product at the yeah. end of the day. That's why you're sponsored. Yep. Yeah, and I also think that people, I mean, being an athlete, you are a person of influence. So by definition of that, you are an influencer. Mm -hmm. And I also think that times have changed where now brands are gravitating towards people who are change makers within their community, be that at large or even, you know, grassroots style. I think that that is super attractive because that's also a person that is creating change for the better and is putting themselves out there and 
has a positive following as a result. Like mm -hmm. at the end of the day, it's who's selling product. Those people should be getting paid the most. Yep. Yeah. It's yeah. an interesting thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you can use your influence for good things too. Yeah. 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 There's a lot of negativity surrounding social media and all of that, but I always try to bring it back to the positives because if I go into a negative spiral with it, then I just won't do that part of my job. And it's very much a part of our job. Yep. So, yeah. yeah. I know. Yeah. I do love the uh, summer hibernation yeah. um, situation. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> I know. I had a funny one the other day. Like, there's always, I mean, at least almost on every ski action clip or anything that I'm like, this is rad. I, I posted a video the other day of skiing super deep powder and someone uh, commented on my skiing style and kind of sidebar coached <laughs> and like gave me advice. I and I like yeah. for a minute in my head, go back and forth between, do I like rip this person a new one? And then I'm like, no, 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 that's not the answer. Like rise above that. What would you actually want to say? And eventually I was like, I'm just trying to spread good vibes. Cause it was like yeah. me laughing, skiing, like, neck deep pal yeah. and uh yeah I took a very positive route and it felt really good at the end to just walk away from it in that way but it's yeah. really hard it's so uh yeah you're vulnerable putting yourself out there and then when people comment negatively which so much of our society is driven behind it mm -hmm. can get really frustrating yeah. yeah yeah well good job for rising above <laughs> thank you <laughs> I'm just trying to have it's a good test time of character man. yeah I'm just trying to make just you laugh really yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. Um, so I, since we're on that topic, tell me about Stoned and Alone. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Um, stay tuned. Yes. Uh, more updates to come. But as like a brief overview, it's a little bit, it's a, it's a um, untimely and unpredictable show that has no context or follow-ups, really. <laughs> but always stay tuned but do stay tuned yeah um, yes it's I, I i need to get back on it which is what the problem there's so many things to do um and my dream would be to like have a stoned and alone brand and have it take, oh, sorry that's my hey Charles. No. <laughs> oh my god <laughs> she, she literally just picked her up and maybe dropped her a little bit. <laughs> it's okay. And my house has construction going on right now. It's not exactly the most silent place. You're good, Joss. This is funny. My brother was like, don't bring her. She's going to bark and be super loud. Josie, stop it. Um, where were we about? Stoned and alone. Oh, right. You're going to have a brand. You're yeah, going to start a brand. It's just my dream is it to have like hundreds of thousands of views on, on YouTube and um and yeah and then and i guess that that would be the end goal that's the goal just a hundred thousand views on youtube of my first under alone i love um, it yeah or maybe a series or, or something um yeah i know it's not like it's not a sponsored it's not a sponsor's favorite thing but oh really that's why it's important to have your own brand you yeah know? <laughs> totally what, have they said something about it um no i just like you know um some are like, well, it's not really something we want to necessarily uh, support, and, <laughs> <laughs> which is okay and reasonable, I guess. Um, but I, I'm, I'm rarely ever actually stoned on it. <laughs> <laughs> it's more, yeah, you can guess, audience. <laughs> but stay tuned to find out. Yeah, it's good. Sure. Follow, follow her on Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> 
Um, okay, so ever since I've known you, you've been very inquisitive and asking a ton of questions, whether that's about the ski industry or about protect our winners and climate activism. And so sidebarring from skiing, you also do work as a climate, someone who cares and does work in the field. And yeah. can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Um, I, yeah. So I think it started cause we talked a little bit about the fire earlier and I mean, I've always, cause in throughout college, I studied kind of environmental stuff, um, ecology. I love animals and, um, I've always, but in my professional career, I kind of felt like pretty passive in the environmental movement like I wanted to spend my time and energy in it but I didn't really want to like engage too much you know I just kind of wanted to work and then go play um but after the Caldor fire like I just it was so devastating that I was just so sad um and I finally stopped and I complained about like the world at, at its demise all the time or I used to at least and my friend was like finally like just freaking do something like actually do something like you know just stop complaining about it and so um I kind of got involved in the local kind of com uh, climate organization and started <clears throat> being more involved in community localism stuff because I thought maybe if I don't necessarily have control more than voting um in federal level issues like can I at least make my own community as best as I can and then go from there yeah <clears throat> and they were all really, really receptive, and there's a huge, like, uh, South Lake Tahoe, like, there's so many people that care about it, and everybody loves Tahoe and, like, the home, so it's a really good movement to get behind, and it's, yeah, it's just been fun engaging, like, on a local level with the community about, about climate issues, um, and I do that by uh, helping with this organization um, that my boss gave to me, essentially. It's, like, the Climate Change Action Network there so that's just a way that uh you know everybody can stay up to date on environmental issues and stuff like that yeah within the city of mm -hmm. south lake tahoe yep yeah within the city because that's like what you publicly have control over yeah <clears throat> and we're trying to at least get the city off the grid so off of um basically like off of liberty utilities is like we'll still use their infrastructure but we'll procure energy differently so that we can keep it local and also like um, just stop uh, be, like producing carbon. <laughs> yeah, and what would you be getting your energy from then? <clears throat> we have lots of ideas um, and there's some weird regulatory issues. Uh, we could be going, we could be joining a CCA, uh, which is means that we're part of this larger organization where we can choose where we get our energy from, not necessarily generate it locally or we could start generating it locally and putting microgrids around and getting energy off solar um, and other forms of renewable energy. I think the CCA route is probably a good, uh, the best option. And this is pretty technical. I don't, I don't know. Like, no, it I love gets, it. It gets really it. technical and it's hard for me to even understand. But um, basically if we can uh, just have a say where we're getting our energy, because right now we don't, we're monopolized by Liberty Utilities. Yeah. Um, and there's lots of like regulatory hurdles that is like not really letting us do that, like not letting us get off of Liberty Utilities, like kind of, I guess I like to say like grips, but I've been told that, you know, you should be um, politically correct when dealing with these agencies. Right. But like they're kind of are, like they just are like 
we're their customers and they aren't and we have no other options so yeah and what does liberty energy primarily get their energy from uh nevada energy i believe and um i guess that's kind of i'm not really sure they do have like a renewable portfolio that's yeah. pretty good. They get some energy from geothermal. They have like renewable sources, but yeah. I think the majority comes from Nevada Energy. Yeah. I remember at one point um, when Protect Our Winners, we were having a lot of athlete summits in the local area and Palisades as a large corporation, I believe they were the second or third largest customer of Liberty Energy. And by way of being such a big customer, they leveraged Liberty to switch to partially renewables oh that's sick yeah. but now like I remember that happening years ago and now I'm that's why I asked I'm curious where their energy sources are from they have a like two they have a 2050 goal so their goal is to transition by 2050 that's a little late it's a little late yeah so <laughs> yeah. that's why we're like that's why the city is like no we want to do this earlier are you on board can you partner with us to do this and they're not giving us a clear answer they it's like so it's so convoluted with the cpuc and the way that governs small uh, utility companies that they don't really have to abide by all the cpuc rules and it's just like this like a lot of just this random shit that like just is blocking the way of like just doing the right thing Yeah. yeah um and liberty utilities to to their point it's not their fault it's the cpuc that regulates them's fault but they could do they could they could step it up. Interrupting this episode to shout out Sierra Nevada, the original founder Ken bought his first brewing kit in 1969 as he was a teenager and hid it from his mom. Years later, after many trips to the Sierra Nevada mountains, Ken ended up calling Chico, California home. And in 1980, after years of working on his craft and teaching others, Sierra Nevada Brewing Company made its first trial batch of beer, five barrels of stout. The company's always been committed to lessening their environmental impact and has the largest solar array in craft beer. 99.8% of their solid waste is diverted from the landfill. And their Mills River Brewery is the first production brewery in the United States to receive a leadership in energy and environmental design platinum certification, which is the top green building rating system in the world. My favorite sour comes from Sierra Nevada, the wild little thing, and I've been really enjoying their non-alcoholic hop splash, which is such a great alternative to mix things up. Huge fan of the company and the people that run the biz. Additionally, I'd like to shout out Anon Optics for supporting the show. Check out anonoptics.com for their collection of sunglasses, goggles, and helmets with fits for all. They make super high quality products that I personally use. My kit includes the opportunist sunglasses, which I love because they don't slip down my nose when I'm doing anything active, the Anon Merrick Wave Cell Helmet, and the M4S Goggle. Gotta stick to the same brand with your helmet and goggle combo. That's a hot tip for all you listeners. Then you don't end up with that gap between your helmet and your goggle and your forehead gets cold. It fits seamlessly. Additionally, I like to rock the MFI fleece hood, which seamlessly connects to the goggles using Magnatech technology. It's amazing. You can wear a face mask and you can breathe really well and it's warm, protects you from the sun. Everything Anon does is done right with thought and ingenuity. Go check them out and pick a kit. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone's voice matters. Um, And so if you're like, when you first got started, was that intimidating? How did you get started? What did that look like? Yeah, it was intimidating because the energy stuff isn't, it's it's a little above and beyond my head. Yeah. it's hard it's hard to understand like 
where we're at and what the steps to make. But um, but I just started listening and paying attention to like city council meetings and talking to people, and then started understanding because my goal is to like get us off of fossil fuels. Like, like so, what does that? Why? Like, what? What is? What needs to happen for us to stop using fossil fuels? Um, and so I started kind of in like we have a hundred percent renewable committee here in South Lake, and I've just stay tuned a little bit to what they're doing and how this is going to happen. So it's like above, but I'm also a normal person. So everybody should be able to do this. And I think um, it's annoying that it's so complicated, but um, I'm not like a crazy above average intelligent person. So, and I'm, I'm getting it. So yeah, in a way. So um, yeah, anybody can just start paying a little more attention. Yeah, and, and figuring it out. But if they don't want to, I'll, I'll, that's also kind of what TCAN does. Is like gets all this really complicated regulatory shit and like simplifies it and then brings it out to, to the, the public. public. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But that's like awesome. Like you can start with no knowledge necessarily, but you care and learn and yeah. go from there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I had a few friends being like, "When is TCAN gonna start hiring people? It'd be so cool. Like I would love to just like get a huge grant and then just hire like all of my." like passionate friends and then just really like start because I feel like the problem with change is that nobody has time the people that really want change get themselves so wrapped up in all and so many other things that nobody has time to do the work the work yeah and so I'm kind of struggling with that myself well it's interesting because we all have the same amount of time in a day yeah it's just what we prioritize yeah exactly yeah and people have different goals and different stages in their life and yeah but we should all be caring. Yeah. Care about something. Yeah. And yeah. I, yeah. And I know you do a lot of like activism with PAL and I've been meaning to like get re-engaged with PAL. So I've always looked up to you and, and like your realm and doing. All- I appreciate that. I think you've probably surpassed me getting involved on such a local level. I think for me, Protect Our Winners has been incredible at giving me the roadmap on like, this is what you can do. And these are the steps you can take and through just starting, it's my confidence has grown exponentially in how I speak about it and how I can show up. Yeah. And like whether that's a a local board meeting or town council, like I remember the first time and I'm sure I told you this, I was like standing there ready to speak, holding my paper, just shaking uncontrollably. <laughs> yeah. I was like, gotta get it's these words this. out. All you're doing is yep. reading from this page, but everyone's wearing business suits and I feel out of place. Uh. Um, but then it like your confidence grows and then next thing you know you're knocking on the doors lobbying for people and like yeah or yeah promoting different people who you believe in and I don't know one thing leads to another but I think the the getting off of your seat and getting engaged can be an intimidating step yeah I'm always curious like how do you take that step how does I think it's the same with becoming a professional skier and that's why I was asking those questions is because we all have different paths to becoming, I think that is true all across action sports. And, you know, some get into it by way of competitions and garnering sponsorships in that way, but there's just so many different stories. I don't think anyone is the same. Yeah. And people are always like, how did you do it? And I'm like, well, it's different for everyone. Like there's not a roadmap to this. Like if you're passionate about it and you keep showing up, I think good things can happen, but yeah. Yeah, exactly. What are some of the ups and downs that you've experienced on your path to becoming a professional free skier? <clears throat> um, I I think I I think probably um, 
it's so hard. I'm so I don't know. Like, am I just hard on myself, or do I should I be this hard on myself to be able to progress? And maybe you've like always felt the same way, but it's um, like I get pretty like I guess grow in lately these past couple of years I've skied a lot with so many females, which has been so awesome and so inspiring. Um, but growing up skiing, I don't, I didn't have that. And I don't think you probably did much either. So then it's like, I don't know why some, some things happen like differently when I've grown up skiing with dudes my whole life. And like some, some of the, the amount of air they get and how, um, confident they are in the air, like flips and shit. Like I just, I'm like, what is wrong with me? Why can't I? like why can't I do it like Mm. I just so I have a lot of like anxieties around not like sometimes I put a lot of pressure on myself to be as good as the next guy Mm -hmm. and that hasn't gone away Mm -hmm. and like and I don't know how to like and that kind of brings a lot of down to me for skiing because I I'm like I have so much anxiety about like why I can't be as good as the next guy Mm -hmm. um but I've learned from that skiing a lot with like a lot of women, especially the sister summit was awesome last year. Um, and I'm also just exploring, like it's, we're all just, no matter what, like being a good athlete comes from like wisdom and growth and getting older and doing it longer. And it's not about like being better than the next person at all. So we're all on our own path. Yeah. 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 I went through a phase for sure of comparing myself to the guys because that's the only people that I was surrounded by. Mm-hmm. And I remember specifically being like, oh, if so-and-so hit a cliff that's that big, I didn't believe in myself yeah. to the extent of yeah. like, I should go try that too. Yeah. I was more like, I should probably downsize yeah. and hit something smaller so I can get the shot. And like, yeah, that's like a pretty, yeah. uh, not a good headspace to be in for progression yeah I think and it's not empowering I know the whole like shot thing the whole like do it smaller so you get the shot I'm like I'm coming to terms with it as a professional skier yeah, yeah you have to well but. it's interesting though right <laughs> like I think for me I was never I was never the skier that hucked it and blew up like that, <laughs> that, that process didn't really like, That's I've good. always been like baby steps, work your way yeah. up. And when you're confident yeah. and feeling it, you go for it. Yeah. Um, whereas like, I think you might have a very different mindset with that. Correct me if I'm wrong. Well, I think it stems from like trying, like, you know, like it's, it's sometimes for me, it's like, I want to like, I like I'm just too much overconfidence or like, That's not a bad thing. Yeah. It's not a bad thing. <laughs> sometimes. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. 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 Um, <laughs> yeah, for sure. But I do think, yeah, I, I like, I think Ari, I was talking to Ari, um, and she's like, sometimes Molly, like you can't just like, like it, it's important to do it well. If you're going to do something like a line, like do right. a little easier, a bit of a line Molly and like make it look good. And that's sick. Like that's what you want. Like, right. And, and I have a hard time grappling with like, what's really freaking gnarly because if you do something gnarly then it's like you get this crazy high from it you know yeah um if you like survive it (laughs) yeah Yeah. but if you also can you also like learn like you were saying like baby steps and you will get there if you take baby steps yeah and baby steps doesn't come without like crashing super hard and having injuries and all that kind of stuff like that still happens regardless we're in action sports after all 
but like yeah I've just I don't I mean I think it's the same for me in every sport I've always just like slowly worked my way up until my mind was like yeah there's no doubt in my mind that I can stomp this and I'm gonna go for it um but have you like so for you what I just heard is that you get that huge adrenaline and like all the feels when you do something super gnarly and you stomp it and you're like yes like that was incredible um I yes I did and actually it's kind of changed a little bit with the whole like my toe injury I'm not I think I'm I'm trying I'm not trying to reel it back but I am like I, I don't know do I need that um yeah is it about like this like super sketchy line that I did or um, to get that adrenaline rush or is it about the line itself that you want to ski because it's like beautiful Mm -hmm. and I don't know this year is kind of like this year's been a little different with the tour so I'm just interested to see what what my mindset's going to be next year about it yeah especially because I feel like a little bit of a wimp these days kind of like I've been climbing a lot I'm so scared to whip I can't even do it oh I got a story for you (laughs) (laughs) Uh, yeah that it's I think that mindset is just fascinating to me too because growing up like I was always really really hyped on style yeah and like seeing and like kind of taking influence from all my favorite skiers at the time and snowboarders and athletes in general on like their body positioning and did they hold their grab was it a no grab but their body was still tight like all of that stuff like mattered so much to me growing up um how did you stomp it did you backslap did you land like bolts or did you whatever it is so like that was always something that I was really in tune with and yeah I think every different approach and style has its place and I think it's really thrilling at times to see the opposite yeah and (laughs) but yeah like as you know when you go filming like i totally I love the aesthetics and I love thinking of it from the filmer's perspective and the photographer's perspective and what would look best on film and where you make that turn to create the slough that goes over the cliff and like all Mm -hmm. of those intricacies like I really love that too yeah 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 that's that's kind of what I want to head towards that's like I would love to get I, I, I would love to like just learn how I'm my goal is like Alaska skiing you know um and playing with slough and like blank faces and pal and yeah and just beautiful skiing yeah yeah so. yeah that's cool we've talked about that as as your goal too for sure like big mountain skiing in Alaska there is something that inherently draws a skier to those mountains because the aesthetics like it's absolutely stunning yeah and they're the biggest mountains and the biggest lines that I've ever personally skied is that do you get that kind of adrenaline from those lines and like do you love like is alaska skiing like your favorite type of skiing yes to a degree it's a really interesting thing for me because i think that growing up like since i was 18 i started going more human power and i really loved that approach and i loved all of the experience it took like once I garnered that experience and took all the avalanche courses and the crevasse rescue courses and the woofer and everything, you know, like all of that building up was like putting pieces of a puzzle together to get to the top of a line and ski it down. And like that whole process is really attractive to me, Yeah. but it's much harder to put all of that stuff together in Alaska. Like this year is one of the first years that I didn't get in a helicopter and go skiing in that style. And it was intentional to not do that because I wanted to like go to Alaska and do it human power and not have that like previous days in the helicopter to lean into. And I, you know, helicopters as a mobile 
even though it's not human power, they're incredibly efficient devices or whatever you want to call them, right? Like for mechanized skiing, they are very efficient. And when you're there and you're filming, you're going from point A to point B, you're literally giving the heli pilot like a GPS coordinate to where you want to go. You're like, we're going here and we don't waste time. And you land and you stop the rotors and you're like, you try to be really efficient with it. And it's interesting because I think as a wider view on heli skiing, people think that it's like this really inefficient mechanism to be in the mountains, which I see both sides. Like, yes, you're not human power when you're using a helicopter and you did take commercial flights. Commercial flights are like the worst for carbon, you know, going into the atmosphere. But like, so like take an example at protect our winners, we've done a calculator, a carbon calculator, and we had like the human power people present on and add up every little aspect of their trip from did you stay in a hotel to a house to how many miles did you drive in the car how many miles did you fly in the plane was the plane full all of this stuff what Mm -hmm. type of helicopter how many hours whatever it is and we compared the helicopter trip to like a human power trip to alaska and it was actually equal oh interesting. and especially like the human power trips when you're going to a different continent to go skiing is like far more than a helicopter trip to alaska And so I think in general, like that gets a really bad rep, Mm -hmm. which I understand visually. Like I get that. Yeah. But simultaneously it's, it has been a huge aspect of being a professional athlete in this realm of sport. And when I go there as an athlete, that's when I feel the most tuned in with my body and mind and the most progressive on my skis. It's where I learn the most. It's where I'm the most inspired. And so it's really hard to want to like, walk away from that entirely yeah um and then you think about other you know we're in the outdoor industry I do believe in like we should be promoting everything that you're doing all the side work all the activism all the like standing up for climate change whatever that is like I am there with you like I do that too but I've always had this like hypocritical feeling when you do both but I'm like okay these like NBA players and whatever like major league sports they're flying private to their games and I don't know if I'm not as in that industry as I am in ours but there's a lot of finger point pointing in our industry and I think that's like and I love that like that how that's pal's narrative is like it's not it's like you're splitting hairs at this point like this is like your individual actions you should do everything you can as an individual and like put forth the best fight you can but this isn't about uh, one a couple athletes going in a helicopter and getting dropped off. This is about like corporate greed that is like pillaged in like nations and continents, and yeah. that's where the fingers and the hairs need to be like split at. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, and I, I'm not surprised that it's I'm I'm yeah commercial flights is I do I would love to see I wonder what the electric. I don't know the solution for commercial flights. It's, yeah, I it's mean, hard to. Hopefully, the technology with is that. coming. Yeah. yeah. Um, my my thought maybe for Alaska efficiency would be like, somebody said you can maybe just get dropped. I've never been to Alaska, by the way, but it would be awesome to like get dropped off somewhere and mm-hmm. then camp there for like a month and yeah. then just kind of go. You know, like then you can kind of just hike around that zone. Yeah. Rather, because I wonder if that would be more efficient. It's not. Know. It's not. No. (laughs) Which is the thing. Yeah. Yeah. Because we compared two trips. Yeah. We compared the human power trip in Alaska where you get dropped by a plane. You typically get dropped by a plane. Yeah. And we compared that with like my heli skiing trip and they were the exact same. Hmm. 
well shoot it sounds yeah. like we should all so that's where i'm like oh man we all like compare each other and point fingers at each other yeah. in our industry and like if you really know how much carbon you're using or whatever it is like yeah it's the commercial flights that kill it yeah yeah <laughs> overseas know. really no it's yeah. crazy i don't know what to do i do all the surveys i'm mm-hmm. like you guys should be better turkish airlines actually has really good um like they use all reusable things and there's no trash they don't have any so it's really cool mm-hmm. so i like choosing airplanes that have like that kind of vibe but i That's think awesome. in terms of yeah, fuel. I don't know. Like, there's when when are we gonna get like a giant electric plane? <laughs> well, we now live in such a global society, and like I've always grappled with it too because I'm like, well, this is my livelihood. Yeah. Like, and we do as professional athletes work really hard towards it. Yeah. And I care a lot about my job, and I also care a lot about my impact on the earth. And so, all of the things I do on a daily basis, I let them be reminders to do the bigger things. Yeah. But I also, I think we're moving past it. Like, my environmentalism is better than your environmentalism. Yeah, yeah. I don't like that narrative. And I, and I really just don't like the hate or the negative comments because I think that that puts people at bay. And I don't think that they're then going to stand up more. I, yeah. I, I, we got to come together on this I know, issue. I know. I got a, I remember getting a comment about me doing, I was doing a stone dead alone in my car. And he's like, for environmentalists, you seem to be in your car a lot. <laughs> And you're like, like, well, I'm not perfect. I know, God. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It's interesting. We just lived in a very polarizing time, I think. Um, Yeah, yeah. (laughs) What are your goals within skiing? Um, I that's so hard. I don't know because I I want I I don't with what are my skiing goals? I just want to have the flexibility. Like I want to have like autonomy to do. Like, I love skiing so much. Um, I, I, for some reason, whatever, I think it's because it's such a cool sport because it, like, it, it used to be this form of travel. There's so many cultural contexts to skiing that, like, it used to be, like, a form of travel, you know? And then now we use it as a form of travel. We go into deep into mountains and um, go see these things. Like, it's like a, it's like a sport that is also such a sweet utility. Mm-hmm. Um, And so I would love, my goals would be to like, yeah, I mean, just to kind of spend my winters exploring um, and being in the mountains and seeing what I can in this lifetime. And I love winter and snow and um, so much. It's so beautiful to me. And it's so cool that you can uh, just go from point A to point B. And it's like in the summer, it's like you're just, it's heinous, you know? (laughs) Uh, So I don't, yeah, I guess like, it would be sweet. I would love to not have to work and ski at the same time. That would mm-hmm. be that would be my goal. Yeah. yeah. Um, awesome. Or and work doing like things that I care about, like climate change stuff. Yeah. 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 You seem to be balancing that quite well. I guess it's like black and white. Like in the winter, I take it all off, and then kind of, and then in summer, I'm just like, oh shoot, I have to work now. Yeah. So I would like to find a better balance, uh, more more equal, I guess, on both parts. Yeah. Fair. But I do know a lot of athletes like have to work in the summer and then get to ski in the winter. Yeah. It'd be cool to, yeah. I like your goals though. It's spoken like a truly passionate lifelong skier. Oh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you weren't like, I'm going to win the free ride world yeah. tour and then I'm going to do this. And like, I love both sides of that. But I also yeah. appreciate that you're just like, I love skiing so much. And yeah, 
that's yeah. really cool <laughs> <laughs> yeah I don't know what it is I think it's like cold like it's yeah I mean I'm, I'm starting to get back into summer sports I took summer sports off due to injury yeah and I love climbing mm-hmm. um but there, I don't know what it is about skiing it's like just the winter I think the fact that you're in snow is so cool yeah yeah it is a cool element. Yeah, it's a nice element. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we met, actually, for the first time at a climbing wall. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. that was pretty funny. I really enjoyed that. <laughs> yeah, that was so funny. Because I had recently caught wind of you via just Instagram, and I was like, oh, my gosh, there's a South Lake Ripper. I totally want to meet her. This is so cool. And then, like, I think, yeah, I kept noticing you look over, and then you probably noticed me look over, yeah. and I was like, was that Molly? can't really tell <laughs> I remember as bullying my friend Amanda if she's listening to this podcast too and I was like I saw it Michelle Parker and I just basically just didn't even let her she I just saw that she was bolted into the anchor and then I just whipped her down as fast as I could I just like pulled the Grieger and she was down in like 20 seconds and I put her off bully and ran over to you <laughs> I was like oh my god <laughs> sorry that was awesome yeah well, I'd like to ski with you more. We've had one outing. Yes. <laughs> which was so thrilling. <laughs> I wondered if we were going to talk about this. We don't have to. No, we can't. I'm down. I'm down. I thought that was hilarious. And also, there's a good lesson from that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What was your takeaway? Um, I guess we should tell the story if we're going to get it. Yeah. Ready. I don't know. I'm curious. You're... I'm curious your side, but... Um. Well, we went to ski a classic line in Tahoe called the Crescent Moon, or the Moon Coolar, yep. and uh, it was my first time skiing with Molly, and we've always like kind of kept in touch via text, and living across the lake, for reference, it's an hour drive each way, so... I don't often go to South Lake. It's a big deal. Yeah, it's kind of a big deal. you got to make plans. (laughs) Uh And so we made plans, and we head out, and we were with one of your friends, and we went and we climbed this couloir, and the way that we approached it, we climbed up through an ice bulge and, like, a definite choke. Um, It wasn't the biggest snow year, if I remember correctly. No, it was early at least. It was pretty technical. Yeah. 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 And there's two couloirs that mirror each other, basically. So, like, as I was climbing up this one, and this is maybe just... Uh, also where I'm at with risk tolerance too like over time I think as you get older and more experienced or whatever it is you're like look at things slightly different so I was like as I was climbing up I was like I mean we could ski this but I bet the other couloir is pretty stacked right now but then it became very obvious that you wanted to ski that thing and you were gonna (laughs) drop in first and ice bulges and couloirs that are no fall zones are no jokes no yeah I'll let you take it from there. Yeah, so I had already done the other line, um, and I was amped to do this one because I'm with Michelle Parker, right? This is, like, the line that you do with Michelle Parker. (laughs) (laughs) And so I was like, yeah, don't worry, Michelle. I got this. Like, you know, we're doing this line. It's not that bad. It's fine. And so I started skiing. Um, <laughs> and I take a couple turns into Crescent and it's basically like, yeah, it's, if you imagine if you're looking straight down at a couloir, uh, half of it's no fall zone, like over exposure, it's really steep. You just don't want to be there really. And also then there's like an entrance uh, through the couloir and I wanted to be cool. So I'm skiing down, I'm like skiing over the exposure, like, yeah, Michelle, <laughs> you know like I'm cool I swear and I I realized that it's super icy above like all the exposed zones and I had not I don't even know if sharp edges would have done anything but like it was just a pure ice it was super icy but to make it more complicated I had no edges whatsoever I had waxed or you know done anything to my skis 
Um, so I started, I kind of got off balance and now I'm like in this weird predicament where I'm on the ice. I can't really make a turn. My skis are not sticking. I have like one ski in the back with a rock like holding me up and I'm like I didn't have my whip in I don't think I have my whip in on either and um I just remember being like oh fuck I'm in this really like awkward situation I don't want to like act scared I just want to pretend like I know what I'm doing so I'm like don't worry Michelle it's cool like I'm like holding on for my life um, <laughs> and then I uh, basically got my at uh, was able to get my whip it out but it was so scary because I was like I had no I had no contact with this like ice bulge over exposure and then I like finally got I got my I couldn't get my whip it on but I got my ice axe house and as soon as I like put my ice axe into that bulge my ski slipped out and I was like hanging do you remember yeah. that yeah yeah I was like hanging through my dear life like on one ice axe <laughs> and I couldn't get my whip it on so then my friend Tanner came and got me another whip it so then I had two points of contact eventually and I got, I got out it took like I have a eight minute GoPro recording no way like, yeah yeah and I was like, I could, yeah, Michelle was like, fuck this, I'm doing the other line, bye. And <laughs> yeah, I was down. like, I don't really want to put myself in that situation. <laughs> so they did the other line, apparently it was blower. <laughs> yeah, um, it was pretty good. <laughs> and at the bottom, I was like, you know, a little a little ashamed, I guess. You shouldn't but, have been the, that's such like a, <laughs> but we both learned from it. Like I had like basically rescue on the phone and I was ready to hit send. Like I had dialed in the number and I was like, okay, this is like, I am making this phone call if she slips right now. Cause like we're, it's like a gnarly, like skinny coolar. You would go over exposure and then ping pong off of rocks yeah. all the way down. Yeah. Was- um, yeah. But no, I thought it was epic. It was a really great like bonding moment because sometimes when you're in those moments in the mountains you come out like way tighter than when you went in and you're yeah, like we lived sure. through this like, yeah we did <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah and we're teammates out there too and ha- and I mean what do you do for me in that situation should I have spoken up and been like yo this looks heinous <laughs> like I don't even know yeah you live and you learn totally. and we came out unscathed <laughs> yeah 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 we yeah. did came out stronger on the other end yeah um, totally I think to answer your question like I I would like like I don't know I would hope I would say no to like I would never do that again but also skiing on other people's agenda I think because that's yeah, like you never want to be skiing on someone else's agenda. Yeah. Because that's kind of when it goes wrong. Yeah, so. totally. Yeah. Do what you are comfortable and confident with. But also sometimes in those moments, you can't necessarily tell. Yeah, totally. Like, because the choke is relatively small and you climb up it and you're like, okay, noted, this is really icy and it's rocky and this is a no-fall zone. <clears throat> but you don't know necessarily until you get in it. And I'm always more comfortable on my skis than I am walking up stuff. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. I'm I know intuition's like really hard. I yeah, I just, yeah. I think the why the best the best athletes and mountain goers probably are pretty in touch with their intuition eventually. At the yeah, I think that's something that you garner over time too, because mm-hmm. you learn your own. Uh, not reflex, but you you're, you you kind of start to understand if your intuition is like, if your fear is a reality or if your fear is totally made up in something in your head. And I think differentiating between the two can be really hard at times. Yeah, I don't, I struggle, I still struggle with that. I don't know, do you? Yeah, I think I'm a little bit more, I don't know, I had a really interesting season. I stayed home for primarily the entire season, A, because it was an amazing season, but mostly because I was focused on spending time with my dad. And uh, 
who's going through some health issues. And so by way of being here, I didn't really have a partner in crime to go film with. So I didn't, I was out there with my filmer and myself a lot this year. And it was this like, like I actually really love that. It's not necessarily the safest way to be. Like you always have eyes on and there's only one person, but it's nice having a partner at the top when you drop mm -hmm. in. But I had some days, like, as you know, we, it was really deep. And then once the sun started to come out in late March, it was really unstable. Yeah. And yeah. I was triggering, I triggered an avalanche in a very like obvious, like I knew it was gonna happen when I dropped in, but I knew that I had a safe zone. And then the following day I ended up going to a new zone for me and you know digging a pit and doing all the homework and easing my way into like a really big line and I found it to be one of the more beautiful like personal days and to be honest the line I skied like my prize line of the year the shot didn't make it it looks really flat and it doesn't really reflect the and my GoPro had like a snow splatter Damn right it. on it yeah, yeah so it's not in the movie and I kind of love that too yeah I'm like well that was one for me and I worked my way into it and it was this beautiful personal like building trust within myself and differentiating between those fears yeah. and knowing that the snowpack was safe on that day where yeah. I was and that I could ski something it was overexposure which I don't typically do but it was a beautiful like I've never seen a face look like this in Tahoe and um, yeah, it went really, really well. It was like That's such so a cool. joyous day. Yeah. But that was like a true test. I think when you do ski stuff alone, and I don't recommend it until you have a certain level of competence out there, but it really makes you think three times as much yeah. about what you're doing. Yeah. And, and you it feel, for me, it was very empowering, that yeah. process. Um, and also, it was like a beautiful, like when I left the season, I was like, okay. That was beautiful. I'm really proud of how I showed up and filmed and also balanced that with like caretaking with my dad. Um, but simultaneously, I love skiing with friends. Yeah. Like I was like, I wish I had people out there with me the whole time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Shout out to my filmer, Rafe Robinson, because he was my buddy out there every single day. And I've known him since I was a baby, basically. Oh, and like so that bond was really strong and it was good to have that. Team. Yeah. But yeah. Um, yeah, two things. It is really hard to find ski partners, I feel like, as a professional athlete so mm. far. Um, mm -hmm. It's not always, like, easy. I was pretty... It was hard to find ski partners, I felt like, yeah. this year. Yeah. Um, and then, two, I, I remember my friend told me he ran into you years ago at... Uh, I think it was skiing at, in the Bronco shoots. Mm -hmm. And... Um, are you not allowed to say places? Well, you, I didn't whatever say, I say it. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, you're in the Bronco shoots, and he was like, "Yeah." And then Michelle Parker was like, just skiing these crazy lines by herself with her filmer. I think it was your boyfriend. No, uh, it was filming. Rafe. Actually, okay, yeah. maybe I don't know. He was like, <laughs> just skiing in like, you know, um, powy crazy lines in the Bronco shoots just by yourself. Yeah. It's pretty epic. Over and over and over again for your movie, and you, I guess apparently your whole like a lot of the shots from that movie was in there. Totally. Yeah, that was like. That, I mean, because yes, as a professional skier, like that was when I was filming Originate and sometimes other people's schedules and their goals don't line up with them participating in your film, which I totally get and I understand. But on that year, yeah, I was in Tahoe and I was solo and it was firing and I was, everything came together and we went out there and I must have hiked like, I was like probably like a, I, I laughed that thing like seven times. Wow. And I think it's like it's not quite a thousand feet, but it was like a bigger day on the human power side of things. And then, oh, puppy dog. <laughs> and then uh, I like 
yeah, it was when your body and mind are aligned. Like yeah. there's only certain moments where everything lines up and you have that confidence in yourself. And you and when you're filming by yourself, the one thing is is no one else is gonna hit that cliff or yeah. see that line. So yeah. you better rise to the occasion and it's actually motivated me at yeah. times. Yeah. 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 True. <laughs> oh, that's so epic. That's yeah. Talk about goals. <laughs> yeah. But it it is like I think having friends out there is way more yeah, fun. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. 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 I um yeah, I do know what it's like. I have to say this story before. It's probably, we've probably been talking for a while. I love it. Say okay. it. Um, well, I really do like skiing with other people. My favorite person to ski with is Josh Dyack, but when you're out there with him, you know, he just goes. Mm-hmm. So, like, he'll just go and then he'll, I, I mean, I've only really skied with him a few times, but um, I like the partnerships where, like, the other skier can just go and, like, knows your capability and then even though, you're kind of up there and it's on you it's like still on you and you yeah. just have to trust that it, it's like like you were saying like build up to the confidence that you'll know you'll know you'll be okay but yeah. there are times when you're like you can't predict everything yeah and then if something goes wrong like yeah nothing nobody is there to you yeah. know you're like above like nobody's coming to absolutely help you. <laughs> totally so you have to be it's like yeah yeah highballing yeah <laughs> I love it. Okay, I'm just going through my list, and I, yeah, we've really nailed everything. <laughs> nailing it. What was your favorite part about being on the Freeride World Tour? Um, I really liked, I really liked all the people meeting. I, I like, I, I felt like I'm, yeah, there's part of me that was really self-conscious, and like, did kind of the whole high school, like, oh, fuck, am I cool enough to be here? It's vulnerable. Yeah, um, and so sometimes I felt like maybe I was like awkward or weird or something, and nobody really understood the stoned and alone thing over there. <laughs> like more hits in the United States rather than Europe. Yeah, I think so. Um, but I like I met really cool people like Jess Hodder. Um, we, we you know we like hung out and chatted, and it's really sick to see her experience and then meet her because like I, I've only ever heard about her and kind of like got a grasp of like the type of person she must be based off of her skiing yeah. and um and so it re- like meeting all these people that you like always look, kind of looked up to is really cool yeah yeah and I met so many of those like Jackie Paso and like um yeah that was my favorite part I think what was your least favorite part uh actually competing mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it was so it was like so no my least favorite part was like it was like the day before and I always I just would cry yeah yeah because I'm like so stressed I don't know you spend so much time like getting there you fly out you know like all that carbon yeah (laughs) and then you just go up there and then you crash and you're like okay and everybody Uh. like if you do well everyone's like oh my god you're so cool and then you don't do that good and like (laughs) nobody talks to you and you're like oh my gosh (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, this, I, I'm just kidding. Like people are always supportive, but not yeah. as supportive. <laughs> you win. You yeah, know? yeah. So, um, yeah. So that, like, just that anxiety kind of was hard. Yeah, yeah. I feel you. I would probably have the same thing. Um, I've been watching a ton of the sports documentaries and different shows on Netflix and all the things about golfing, tennis, um, yeah. road cycling. Like I've been like a total. Like, I really love it. It's funny. Everybody's Instagrams on the Tour de France. Yeah, totally. Well, I got really into the Tour de France. But um, 
it's turning me, I'm like, oh, I guess I love sports so much. Like, I feel like a jock. I'm like, this is awesome. Like, I'm going to watch football. But it also, <laughs> like, gives you insight into the that level of professional athlete, which is really, it's been, like, I don't know, kind of reassuring because I'm like, oh, they're, like, crying yeah. on the sideline. Yeah. And they're, like, going through all of these emotions, much as we would go through all of these emotions, too. And when you care about your performance and – your personal progression whether that's like yeah progressing as an individual or like pushing the sport whatever that is like there's a lot wrapped up into that and I think that in order to be the best there's always going to be something going on inside your mind that sets you apart from like the average person who does these things leisurely or like enjoys them on a different level like there's something that sets professional athletes apart yeah and I'm not entirely sure what that is but like yeah I know I don't know what that is either and that's why it's hard when people are like well just do like do it for the for your love like it's like is there a line like you should do it because you're passionate about it and you love it and but then also there's like yeah I mean you you do have to perform like that's literally your job to yeah. do the things that you love so how do you not put pressure on your performance and like find joy I guess if you can find joy in in progressing mm-hmm. and I think yeah um yeah my boyfriend's a climber and he has like a really nice he's like got like such a good mental space around bouldering like he truly just does it for the love of it and um and he has no mental stress when he I mean I'm sure he goes through like you know it's like damn I didn't do this boulder but he like can he does he doesn't do it and it's fine yeah and like for me it's like I can't do it it's an existential crisis (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah my right. whole day is ruined no but like you well know. I think that stuff comes with time too like I remember when I was younger and there was some conversation that I had had here locally with some friends about sport jeopardy and having longevity within your sport and it did not click when I was in my mid-20s I'll tell you that yeah. I was like uh I just want to send it and yeah. like <laughs> I want to push this sport and be yeah. the best athlete that I can be yeah and over time like now how I've tried to change and shift my focus in the winter. And this is like maybe a little bit more philosophical, but like, I don't want the weather to depict my mood. If it's not a good day, like that that shouldn't make me bummed or upset. Like if it rains or whatever, like I shouldn't be attached to that. So I like to have no expectations and to be able to go with the flow, but also simultaneously in order to like, like do that like I think you have to shift your mindset into like where you do find joy and like finding joy in all of the I don't know the smaller parts of skiing like not necessarily stomping your line or like hitting the biggest cliff but like that one time that you ate shit and you started laughing super hard with your friends is also beautiful and there's so much joy in that or like yeah taking my dad up and like just riding a chairlift with him or the random person that you start a random conversation with and you start a relationship with like there's all these small things about skiing that are beautiful yeah and that process that if we emphasized a little bit more I think we'd probably have better mental a better mental state I agree like I think when I think about skiing like some of my best memories are on some of those random rainy slush days when you're like completely just goofing off like, yeah. And it's just, yeah. I mean, honestly, those are kind of some of the most memorable days. 100%. Yeah. 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 I love that. I remember coaching in South America. I coached down there for like 10 years. 
and we would ski rain or shine every single day. Like these individuals would book their trip down there for a week or two weeks and they're not taking a day off because the weather is bad. Like yeah. they're going to ski. So we would ski every day and it like really made me appreciate every type of snow and every condition that the mountains were in. Like you're going to, you can just find joy in all those moments. And I think, yeah, I don't know. I think we should be lifting up and celebrating those moments equally as much as yeah. winning the free ride world tour exactly. and all of that. Like it's yeah. amazing to have that aspirational side of our sport, but simultaneously I think it's like such a special thing that we get to do. It's a huge privilege to be out there every day. And so like, yeah, we yeah. should enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Yeah. Have fun with it. And yeah. Easier I, said than done. Right. <laughs> but I know, I know it's hard. Not, I mean, yeah, you, you, you can, you should definitely try your hardest at things um but don't try too hard yeah <laughs> you know like and just, maybe that's not even for you yeah exactly. maybe you just want to go have a picnic out there and hike 200 feet up in yeah. a really safe area and enjoy a picnic and that's epic right yeah i know yeah exactly um yeah i like that i also like am realizing too it's like you don't like to just chill like that like when i went to norway i was so excited to I wanted to like go and ski coolers and I was like, I need to go there and just freaking get like ski some sick coolers into the ocean. Like that's yeah. my goal when I go to Norway. And I ended up just, um, my friend hurt her ACL so she couldn't ski very much. And then she also had her other friend come who's a mom with like kids and just, you know, it wasn't like, also didn't have the same, uh, agenda as I did, but I kind of just ended up hanging out with them all week and it just, hiked some mellow beautiful mountains in Norway and yeah. I was like I think yeah in my 20s I probably if I did that I would have been like oh my god like, <laughs> let's go like let's we gotta like do this you know but it was so nice it was like such a good and now my memory is like just these just you know going on these beautiful excursions with really cool inspiring women yeah um yeah that's so, so cool yeah I wonder if we can teach the up-and-coming skiers like the people that are younger that kind of mental shift because yeah. I think it's really important like I think our culture surrounds sport in such a competitive way but what if we could teach to just enjoy the aspect of the sport that like brings you community and brings you beautiful conversations and your love for nature and whatever that is like that's probably more of a lifelong pursuit than winning yeah or stomping the biggest cliff yeah not That's to take away the from hardest that, though. Part. Yeah, That's yeah, yeah. That. yeah, yeah. I, I hope. I wonder what the like kids are at these days with like that type of um, like. I wonder what it's like to be on a free ride junior comp league. Yeah, these days. Yeah, I'm sure kind of intense. I'm curious too. Yeah. Maybe I should interview one of them. <laughs> yeah, you should. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for your time. Yeah. One thing I ask, I have been historically asking many of my guests is uh, to give you a moment to reflect and celebrate whatever it is that you are most proud of in your life. Oh wow. Um, I'm most proud of my dog, Chelsea. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I like that. Um. I guess I'm I'm most proud um, of like being and this might sound really heady but like just kind of being where I'm at right now like I'm proud that I got here like I'm proud to be alive like that's that's something to be proud of you know there's yeah. been really like obviously there's been some sketchy moments 
<laughs> for both of us. For both of yeah. us. So, um, <laughs> and yeah, like pr- proud to like be able to function um, as a human being, I guess. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Yes, yes. I love that. I think um, that to just be proud of where you're at is like one of the more beautiful things actually. Yeah. 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 That and my growling dog, Chossie. <laughs> yeah. Chossie's in the background. Yeah. Chossie's so cute. No. Yeah, <laughs> totally. <laughs> Amazing. Well, thank you. Yeah. Thanks, Michelle. This was fun.